in my experience at UC Berkeley, my mind opened up because I was in class next to people whose parents started businesses, kids who went off to start um, a lot of startups that we know today, right? And with that being said, what could that, that small conversation probably led me to be an entrepreneur, to create, um, to do things that I never imagined I can do. So I think that you have to give what you know. That's the first way that a person can pay it forward. Um, so if you know it, show it and let somebody else grow it. <laughs> I just made that up, by the way. Welcome to Bulls, Bears, and Bourbon, the investing show with a buzz. Sit back, relax, let's take the edge off, grab a nice glass of bourbon, and enjoy. Cheers from your host, James Vermillion. But first, let me kindly remind you, the information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Bulls, Bears, and Bourbon. This is episode four. I'm your host, James Vermillion, founder of Vermillion Private Wealth. And wow, I can't believe it's already episode four. Time flies when you're having fun and drinking some bourbon. I'm fortunate enough to share today a discussion I had with super advisor DeSarte Yarnway. This guy is absolutely everywhere. He founded Burknell Financial Group, which is an independent fee-only wealth management firm. He's the host of the podcast, Young Money. And he's written three books, Young Money, Four Proven Actions to Design Your Wealth While You Still Can, Dating Benji, Straight Talk on Improving Your Relationship with Money, and Pay Me in Equity, A Millennial Guide to Understanding Equity Compensation. He also hosts Altruists Grow with Altruist Podcast. He's all over Twitter, and he's an all-around great guy. You're going to love his positive attitude, his approach, and to top it all off, he is a whiskey drinker. So sit back, relax, and I know you'll enjoy this conversation with Desarte. Desarte, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure, man. Well, you know, I never really told you why I wanted you on the show to begin with, so you may be wondering what the heck you're doing <laughs> here. But, but uh, you know, I recently started my own um, investment management and financial planning firm. And when I'm trying to do something, I like to go out and see what people are doing, what's working who who's doing things in a way that I would want to do and um, things like that. So when I started looking around and saying, Hey, who's out there, what are they doing? How are they talking about money? How are they talking to clients and potential clients? I kept seeing your name pop up to start Yarnway all over the oh, place, wow. man. So on Twitter, uh, you know, through altruist, you know, I, I, I got curious. So I started listening to your podcast, young money, and I really just liked what you were doing. I liked uh, the compassion you showed you definitely have um, an, an enthusiasm about helping people. And that really resonated with me. You know, I reached out and, and I, I just want to let you know, first off, that what you're doing impacted kind of how I started my firm and, and how I want to run things. So I appreciate you for that, first off. Thank you so much. Those are those are kind words. And, you know, when you're in in the dogfight, if you will, right, you're not thinking about how much impact you're going to make, right, or, or that you're making. You're thinking about just doing your job and doing it well. So to hear that you were inspired by that uh, really makes me feel good. It really gives me more fuel to the fire. And secondly, congrats on starting your firm. 
because in 2015, when I started mine, I, I knew what I was up against, right? It was harder than I expected, but 10 times more rewarding than I expected. So you're in for a roller coaster that will only help you uh, benefit you, your clients and your family. So I'm excited for you. Well, thank you. And I will tell you, uh, part of the beauty of it for me was not knowing fully what I was getting myself into. Uh, because yeah. if I, you know, it, it, it's been an adventure, you know, bringing a lot of my clients over with me has been really satisfying to see that that trust they place in me. And it, it's, it's been a great start and mm-hmm. I couldn't be more thrilled in my, my day-to-day lifestyle. I feel so much better, more energized and, and really just ready uh, to go out there and, and build a firm that I can be proud of in my family and friends and, and, and everybody can be proud of. So really excited to do that. And this is bulls, bears, and bourbon. You know, I was thinking about what would be something yep. cool uh, to share with Desarte, and you kind of brought, I think, a really cool, fresh, um, you know, young perspective to an, an an old industry. And bourbon is a very old industry as well. <laughs> so, and one of the downsides when something becomes really popular, like bourbon, of course, everyone floods in. Everyone wants to get a piece of the pie. So. Some of the new stuff that gets out there, you know, it's not that great, but, yeah. uh, but there is good stuff coming out. And, and there's a, mm-hmm. a company up in Northern Kentucky, a distillery called New Riff Distillery. It's a family owned independent distillery and yep. they're relatively young. I think they've been around since maybe 2014 or something like that. When I think about them, I really think of quality and I'm always skeptical when someone introduces me to a new brand. But from the very first time I tried New Riff, I was very impressed with what they were doing. And I think they make an excellent product. So I'm happy to share this with you. Are you a bourbon guy? Um, yeah, I'm a whiskey guy. Um, actually, my first adult drink was whiskey. And we drank it because my my father passed away when I was in my teenage years, right? But he was a whiskey guy, right? He used to like talk about it as if it was some sort of art, right? And I never understood. I couldn't drink it. I just remember the smell of the the liquor in his cup, right? But when I got, when I turned 21, I was like, that's the first drink that I want to have. So kind of stuck with me through then. Um, and I'm glad to be having this new riff with you today. Well, very cool. And I, I think that's a, a really cool thing about bourbon. It's something to be enjoyed uh, with family, with friends, meeting new people. In Kentucky, it's a very huge part of our culture um, and our history. And there are so many collectors. There are people doing all these things. But to me, let's drink it. Let's 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 yeah. sit down and <laughs> enjoy a good bourbon instead of uh, letting it collect dust on a shelf. So we can invest in other things. We don't need to invest in bourbon. Right. Well, take you a little sip there. Let me know what you think. It's a hundred proof bottled and bond bourbon. It's good. It is good. It's got that heat at a hundred proof. It's got that heat for sure. Yeah. It's it's not a nice not, finish. Yeah, very strong finish. Yeah. You kind of get um I get a lot of like cloves, cinnamon, yeah. spices. Yep. Um not a ton of fruit. Or, spices. Yeah, it's got a nice peppery uh finish there for sure. It's actually better than I remembered. Yeah, it's good. I like it. I like it. All right. Lot. We've got a winner. So we'll keep uh We'll keep sipping on that. And I know uh, you're a busy guy, so we'll get right into it. Um, I wanted to talk to you uh, about your clients, how you deal with them, and wealth management in general. And I wanted to start, you've got your podcast, Young Money. You've written some books geared towards people who are in maybe in the early stages of wealth building, really don't know where to start, um, and things like that. I have a younger client base as well, especially mm-hmm. compared to the industry standard. Um, so that's really important to me to be able to 
reach really a clientele that was largely ignored, I would say, by the um, older method, whatever you want to call it, of, of providing right. wealth management services. So with those young clients and young people you've worked with, what's what's the number one kind of money mistake or or thing you've kind of helped people correct for anyone who's listening and might be getting ready to do that or, or whatever? Yeah, first and foremost, I agree 100% with how overlooked and underserved the population um, that we serve is, right? And that was kind of my reason for getting into the business as well. I think about people like myself, my parents, when they first came to this country, it's like nobody was looking to serve that demographic. What a huge opportunity for the advisor that is going to, you know, try his or her best to add value to that demographic, right? So many people to serve, so much impact to be made, right? So that was the first thing. In terms of one of the big things that I see people not doing is optimizing their time, right? Optimizing their time. And that that's a financial planning thing that I feel like is easily correctable. But when you go through your life, not doing as best you can to maximize that account or to really uh, create a plan that it will serve as your compass, right? For how you move money around and how you invest, you're not optimizing your mm-hmm. time. And being young, as I said in one of the books that I wrote, time is your biggest asset and how you spend that time will dictate or, or kind of define the wealth that you'll build over the years. So I think that the biggest service that we can give as advisors to people that are young is to help them optimize their time through investing, um, through a bunch of different things. But I think that's the biggest mistake. No, I think that's great. And when I'm asked what's something, what's the number one piece of advice, I can usually give it in four words, invest mm-hmm. early, invest often, because- for sure. Yes, you can get into asset allocation and you know all of these things. And that, that stuff's very important. I'm not downplaying that one bit. But if you start early and you invest consistently and often, mm-hmm. it would take a lot for you to fail. It would take a lot yeah. going wrong. So to me, that's at least a good starting point. And from there, you know, you can hone and 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 really zero in. But I think you're right. When you're young, you've got time and it's precious and it's super valuable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, again, like I said, you're doing a great job because you're helping these younger clients realize that. Right. And once you realize it, it becomes kind of a thing. I don't know. We've kind of gamified it here in in a sense that our clients want to do more. They want to invest more. They want to really lean into their plans. It's a it's a feeling of like it's a reward for them to see Mm -hmm. these things mature um, over time. So um, I love it. I love working with the demographic. I feel like I'm growing older with them. And sure. I look forward to doing that over the, the coming years. Well, and I think that's a really good point too. If you're somewhat in the same demographic as your client, at least as far as age and maybe where they're at in their life, you're, yeah. you're more relatable. I mean, and hopefully you're one of those advisors out there doing as you say and mm-hmm. not providing advice to people. And then you're doing something totally different yeah. and they exist because I've seen it with my own yeah. eyes. So, so yeah, I think that's also a benefit to clients to say, Hey, you know, Desarte's you know, going through some of the same things I am. Um, he's lived it and he's, he's living it with me. Um, so I think that's really cool too. Absolutely. How it's so important for you to take your own medicine. Yes. It's so important for you to take, like, I feel bad. I was a young advisor. I got into, I graduated when I was 21, went to a RIA and I was like, I have no business telling somebody what to do with their money. I have none. I have a bunch of time, <laughs> right? but I don't have any money. Right. So when I grew my firm, got into position, I wanted to make sure that every recommendation that I would give to a client, I was doing myself. Do you have a trust, will, estate plan? I have one. 
Do you have your insurance in line? We don't sell it, but I have it, right? Um, my investment accounts are invested in the same thing, right? Portfolios that we create as you. And I think that just goes such a long way with the demographic that you serve, right? You're taking your own medicine and, and, and that's trust. That's trust building at its finest. Yeah, it's, that's really interesting. And you know, when you're looking for advice in any area of your life, would you go to a doctor right. who's going to give you health advice that, that they're not doing? I mean, I'm not, I'm going to, yeah. is that what you would recommend to your family, to your friends and to yourself? If not, what, tell me what that is. Cause that's probably what yeah. I want. <laughs> so absolutely. Well, you mentioned something else. It's been really interesting. I feel like there's this like subtle war going on between the retail investors and old school wall street. And it's being, yeah. it's being like mounted in this weird way in the media. And I, I think it's really strange first off, but when I was uh, working at another firm before I went out on my own, you know, I, I've got the sense that advisors were scared of robo advisors and commission free trading. Yeah. Like that was some competitor and they were, they were going to take over and our jobs are in jeopardy. I could not feel more differently. Yeah. I mean, I look at it as someone so there's, a, there's a piece of software out there growing my future client base for me. They're investing earlier yeah. and no, maybe they don't need my services today. Maybe, maybe they're just getting started and learning, but guess what? At some point they're going to want guidance more than here's the asset allocation you should be in. They're going to want that tax advice. They're going to want insurance yeah. advice. They're going to want to sit down and say, here's the life I'm trying to, to build Desarte, what do I do next? Like I've been doing this robo advice thing and it's it's working. My account's doing doing well, but what else do I need to be doing? So to me, I mean, it's a great thing. We're, we're they're they're building our client bases for us. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you said that. Um I never looked at it like that, like them building our client bases for us, but I do know that you can't replace human advice. No, I agree. You can't replace it. There's something so tremendous about having that sounding board that you can call, right? And you can say, hey, James, I need your I need your take on this, right? Yeah. What do you think about this purchase that I'm going to make? What do you think about sending my kid to this school? Um, I'm looking to switch jobs. Um, it's a pay cut. Will that get in the way of my goals? There's no robo-advisor that can do something like that for you. So I think that while these these pieces of technology essentially are incredible, right? They, they they'll never replace, replace the human advisor. No, I agree. And if, if anything else, I think they'll make the human advisor more powerful. I mean, we're able to do more right. today, you and I as individuals, than, than an individual could do in the same business 20 years ago. I mean, think of all the paperwork and, and, and how difficult it was to communicate with your clients. You had to send mail back and forth or meet and things like that. So, you know, it, it's, it's really opening up the business and becoming a huge benefit. But I, I kind of, laugh a little bit when I see people like, oh my gosh, they're, they're coming for our, you know, it's that South Park. They, they yeah. took our jobs, you know, it's like, I, I'm yeah. honestly not that worried about it. Not at all. I'm not worried at, at, at all. And I think that your clients will speak to you in a way that they'll show you the value that you're making on their lives. And if I have to, if I ever have any doubt, my clients are telling me that the service that we provide is valuable. Right. And I think that once you know that you have reached the demographic so deeply no robo advisor can get in the way of that confidence, right? You just want to continue to accelerate what you're doing and scale your business. So I'm confident you should be too. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, like the CPA business, like TurboTax, yeah. you know, TurboTax, there are still great CPAs out there. TurboTax and, and other tax prep softwares didn't come in and wipe out CPAs. 
it may have shifted who's who's yeah. using you know some clients may have gone to that but um a good a good cpa is still super valuable and, and that's going to ring true for advisors as well agreed so i was listening to your podcast the other day and dude i was cracking up because <laughs> you were talking about the it was the drop zone you were talking about i think the drop zone was that, was that yeah. your last episode or was it several ago that was the last episode okay. yeah the drop zone so i was laughing because i feel like everyone can it can like hear that sound of the roller coaster that you described that <laughs> click, click, click. Yeah. So I, I just thought that was so funny. And like, literally I can hear it as if I'm sitting uh, on a, in a ride going up, going up the top of a hill. So talk about the drop zone a little bit. I think that was such a cool metaphor. And I even took some uh, thought and time to try to expand it a little bit. So I'll share that with you, yeah. but talk about the drop zone a little bit. Yeah. So in the episode, I talk about this theme park that was uh, in in our area, right? It was called Six Flags Great America. And in the theme park, there was this one ride that everybody, you, you were the big bad boy, right? If you got on this ride called the Drop Zone, um, you knew what was going to happen. It was like a pole all the way up, maybe like 100 feet or so, 200 feet. It would take you up very slowly. You would see pretty much the whole Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area on your way up. And you knew that it was going down. Right. They would kind of do like a fake drop first and then a straight drop to the bottom. <laughs> and what I did was I paralleled this to the state of the market. Right. People think that the market is just ticking up too high and undoubtedly there's going to be a drop. Right. The truth of the matter is we don't know. A lot of people right, have been saying right. this for the last eight years. Right. So instead of preparing yourself for the drop, focus on the things that you can control. And that was kind of the, the focus of the episode. And I think that we've always been a speculative culture a speculative market, but the people that invest the best are those that can separate the news from the noise, that can control what they can control, that can be patient to watch the seeds of their investments mature into their proper figures. And that was my hope um, in that episode, talking about the drop zone. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Um, And it really reminded me of, like, I was taking that a little bit further, like just the whole theme park thing. And I think it's ridiculous to try to call tops and bottoms you can't do it. I can't do it. Nobody I've ever seen or heard or anything can do it with any type mm-hmm. of consistency. And if that's what you're trying to do, I, I feel like you're going to work a lot harder and probably have much worse results. Yeah. But you know, I was thinking about a roller coaster and you're an investor who's maybe sitting on the sidelines. You know, maybe, maybe I haven't started investing yet. And you're watching this ride go and, and, and everyone's getting off and they're looking excited and thrilled and having fun. Um, so you say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do that. Like, that looks great. I'm going to hop on this ride. So you get in line, you get on the ride. It starts going up that initial hill towards the drop and you start getting nervous. You start panicking. And as soon as you feel the drop, you, you jump off, you literally jump off the ride and, you know, halfway through the drop. And then you miss the entire fun part of the ride. And even worse, you say, I hate investing. It's, it's so, it's so risky. It's not fun. (laughs) It's like, well, you, you literally did the exact wrong thing that you could have done. You know, you, you, you hopped off uh, right at the worst time and you, and you missed the the whole journey of the ride and the, and the fun part. So I just kind of took, took your, your idea there. And I, I've seen people do that a million times. Investing's not for me. It's like, well, you missed the last decade because you were waiting now, all of a sudden, right. you, you thought it would be a good time to jump in and you're only going to give it six months. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It's- it is ridiculous. And I think that you highlight so many good points in your expansion of 
the drop zone episode, right? Because think about it at roller at theme parks, there's so much data that tells you that the, the ride is safe. Like generally there's a 99% chance that this thing you'll get on and you'll get off pretty safely. Right. Yes. The market has over 200 years of data showing similar events to what we've had have gone on now, right? Speculation of rate increases, um, events that happen in society, pandemics even, right? If you go all the way back to the Spanish flu and beyond, like we've yes. seen a lot of this stuff before. Now, what's riskier with that data of the theme park? Is it riskier to stay on the ride or jump off halfway? I would say jumping off a moving <laughs> thing halfway is much riskier than just staying on. And seeing where it goes, right? And if people took that approach to their investment portfolios, perhaps, maybe, just maybe, right? They'll be in a, a better position. Couldn't agree more. And it reminds me of the quote by Jeremy Siegel: "Fear has a far greater grasp on human action than the impressive weight of historical evidence." And it's right. so <laughs> true. You can have all the data in the world to point you in one direction. But the moment you see a day that you, you feel uncomfortable, if you abandon uh, the strategy, I mean, yeah, you did lose. You did just lose. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, I just li really like that metaphor. And man, I just love being able to hear that clicking noise. It really took yeah. me back to, to <laughs> the good old days of roaming the theme park. I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. Really. You have a mantra that you post on Twitter a lot. And you, you, it's onward to greatness. So I wanted yep. to get, where did that start? What does that mean to you? And, you know, why do you post that? Is that for you? Is that for your clients? Is that for the world? What, you know, tell me about that. I'm just really curious. Yeah. Onward to greatness actually started in 2009. I was in college and I was uh, running back at the University of California, Berkeley, where I played ball. Okay. Um, highly touted recruit came in. I was going to actually be a true freshman that year, but I tore a ligament in my foot. And in my reflection, as I was just like on the bus, I think we were supposed to play a game. I was on the bus going to the stadium. And um, I just thought to myself, like, onward to greatness. Like, no matter what this might result in, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be excellent at whatever I set my feet on, whatever path I set my feet on. So that was like the start of it. And I, I, I'll go on Facebook right now and it's there. <laughs> right. Um, and I just carried it yeah, with me throughout yeah. life's trials and tribulations. It's like onward to greatness, man. This is not the end. Just like it's not the end at the bottom of a market or a correction, right? You can still be great yeah. and find beauty in whatever cycle <laughs> of, of the market or cycle of your life, season of your life that you're in. So that's what it means to me. And, and, you know, you're in a stage right now that I was in, a few years ago, right? Starting my business. And I just felt like those day-to-day -day things, I started from scratch, but those day-to-day -day activities was like my encouragement, right? To get up and do the work, um, as you as you know, right? So Onward is my war chant. Mm -hmm. yeah. Onward now has grown past me. Onward is adapted by everybody on Twitter, all of my clients and everybody who is in pursuit of something greater than themselves. So that's what it means to me. Well, I really like it. It's I like your daily reminders almost on Twitter, um, you know, because you see that and people need to be reminded, you know, there are times when you, you're doing something and you're wondering, is this working? Am I having an impact? Am I wasting my time? What am I doing? Yeah. So to, to have someone remind you that, hey, keep going, keep going, like you're, you're, going. you're taking another step, um, even when it might not feel like it. And I'm sure that's how it felt with the, the physical setback um, as a football player, like that's damaging and and really painful to athletes to go through something like that where they have to sit there and 
rehab and watch their teammates play and they can't do anything. So to have that reminder of, Hey, this is, this is nothing. Keep going. Uh, your day will come. I think that's pretty cool. So, uh, just wanted to understand where that came from. Yeah. I'll take it even a step further, right? Now that I'm in a position, not only to encourage and inspire other people, I have another mantra called push pull. And I think that it's a, it's a responsibility, right? Once you reach some of your goals to pull those who are behind you and to push those that are in front of you. And I think that's the beauty of this, man. Like you, you just said that you listen to my podcast. You were like, Hey, I wanted to do this. When you hit me up, I was like, I gotta be on the podcast, right? I want to be on the podcast. And <laughs> same with like people like Pete Nigerian from CNBC. He knew that I was a young advisor just trying to figure it out. And he wrote the foreword for my, my first book, first published book. Right. So I saw that very cool. Things like that go a long way. I think we have the responsibility to push, pull, right? Encourage each other along the way. We can all be great. Well, that's a good point. And this business is often kind of displayed and touted as some cutthroat business. But one thing I love, you know, yeah. since I've started my own firm and have interacted more with advisors that aren't in my firm, because before I was mainly talking to people who I worked with, there's so much more collaboration happening than I ever realized existed. Yeah. So talking with people like yeah. you and figuring out what are you doing that's that's helping your clients? What Where are you getting good feedback? What have you tried that didn't work? All of those things. I mean, I couldn't have done a podcast, I, I don't think, at, at the larger firm I was at. Um, it just wasn't something that I maybe, I don't think mm-hmm. I would have had the runway to do it. And I'm really enjoying it. I love yeah. meeting new people and talking to people and Drinking bourbon, you know, we say in in Kentucky, if you can drink bourbon and yeah. add bourbon to something, you automatically made it better. So, so. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I, one thing that I focused on doing last year was amplifying my voice and the voice of other people that I respect. Right. And I think that, you know, I, my last stint in like the corporate kind of ladder was at a big bank on wall street and there, there was no voice. You couldn't be yourself. You had to really operate within the confines of the institution that you work for, anywhere from the products sold, the portfolios built, and just the way that you charged and did business. So now that you're outside of that, your clients will have an even better sense of who you are and the impact that you can make on their lives, right? And I think that's one of the biggest revelations that I've had since starting my firm. And it's something that I enjoy. I say that I don't work. I get up and do something that I love to do with people that I love to be around every single day. Well, no, thanks for saying that because I've really felt this boost of creativity since since I've started, uh, since I've had the freedom to do things kind of my way. And I've written more. I've started this podcast. I've talked to more people. I've been able to be myself a little bit more. And that's really freeing. And I think that comes through. That shows to your clients. They can feel that. They can yeah. sense that. And, and, and they really understand what you're about. It gives you that freedom. And, and that's really powerful. For sure. I agree. So let's move on a little bit. I, I was listening to Charlie Munger yesterday, which, mm-hmm. you know, the guy's what, 97, I think. He's, yeah. a, he's an older gentleman and he cracks me up. Like his wisecracks and his one-liners are, are freaking hilarious. But he's, he's still very sharp. And he was speaking yesterday. Yeah. Um, so I watched um, a good chunk of it. And he had a, someone asked him about wealth management and the state of wealth management in this country. And I forget the whole context of the question, but his reply, and I wrote it down because I thought it was, I was like, he's right. (laughs) He said, the wealth management business needs the world to stay the same. 
And that's not necessarily the best thing for their clients. Wow. That's profound. I was like, it is profound. I think he freaking nailed it. I really do. Yeah, right. A lot, a lot of the wealth management infrastructure that is that is there today and isn't adapting at maybe as quickly as it should be. It's true. They need things to stay the yeah. same, but clients are changing. The world's changing and they need stagnation. And that's not a good spot to be in, in my, my opinion. Not at all. Not at all. I think that, you know, a lot of industries are being disrupted. I work with a lot of people that work in the technology space and I see on a daily basis how these companies are innovating, um, growing, scaling, being acquired, IPOing. We're in the SPAC era now where everybody <laughs> is directly listing onto the markets, right? And I think it's crazy to me that the wealth management disruption is happening very slow, very slow. Mm -hmm. But I think we're up next. I think the conversation probably started with fee compression um, a few years back. Yes. And it's continuing to go to robos mm -hmm. and technology, right? And I can just imagine this accelerating yep. through fintech over the course of the next five to 10 years. So um, the change is coming, although it hasn't happened as fast as we think. It's coming, and I think it's coming really quickly. It, it's definitely coming. And I don't know you know, how much you know about my firm, but as far as investing goes, I am a huge, huge believer in investing in the future and for the future. So I really focus on innovation, especially nice. with my younger clients. I believe that, that investing in innovative technology and disruptive technology is, is very powerful. And you can do that today in ways that you never could do before. So I, when I see industries and companies lagging and holding on, uh, you know, to the bottom line, clinging to it and clinging to a business model that's that's starting to fail. It worries me, um, and yeah. I'm, gl but I'm glad on the one hand um, that that's where opportunity arises, and that's where there are so many fintech companies out there doing really cool things. There are people like like you starting your own firm, and you can integrate technologies that are out there into a tech stack, into a service model that you like yeah. and that fits your client base. So there's good and bad with it, and there are winners and losers. And I think if you're not looking forward, For sure. you're going to be a loser. Yeah, absolutely. You couldn't have said it better. <laughs> I got on a, I, I go on rants every once in a while, so you'll have to forgive me for that, especially when I'm drinking. No worries. Like you said, bourbon makes everything better. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so let me ask you this. One area, it's come up a lot. It's something I've done a little bit of work with, um, talking to, to kids in this community here in Lexington, Kentucky. I want to get your take on it. You know, financial literacy is so important. There's such a direct link to financial education and understanding money and what that person's future looks like. What can we yeah. do? What can we do better? More needs to be done. How do we do it? And what are your thoughts? Um, that's a great question. Uh, first, I think financial literacy starts in the home. So if you are learning, and I say learning because if you come from the place that I came from, you were learning. You didn't have those tools in the toolbox outright, right? You probably were the first of your family lineage, right? To have access to the internet, if anything, right? So you're learning. Definitely. But whatever you learn, you have a responsibility to, like I said before, pass it back down. Pass it back down to your kids. Have those conversations at the dinner table. And this has been heavy on my mind in terms of a next book or blog. Just giving people keys or, or, or gems, things that they missed at the dinner table that could revolutionize their life. So that's number one. And for any advisors that might be listening to the podcast, it's our responsibility to be as proximate to these youth as we can, right? 
I didn't even know what a financial advisor was, right? Until I was a senior in college, maybe, right? So with that being said, um, what could that do to see James at uh, elementary school's career day saying, I'm a financial advisor and this is what I do, right? Um, what could that do for somebody to see me in their neighborhood YMCA saying, hey, this is what I do every day. This is why it's cool, right? That could change somebody's life. Not to Not to quote, Tupac, but he said, I might not change the world, but I might uh, spark the mind that does. And I think that being proximate is what does that. So those are two quick things that I can think of that can really impact, right? Our youth and create financial, promote financial uh, literacy within our communities. Yeah, I think those are two, two great pieces that, that can be done. And I think another thing is just having conversations. We live, you and I wouldn't have met 15 years ago. Right. I mean, we wouldn't have met. And you know, having conversations with people that you wouldn't have known in this era of just wide open communication platforms that couldn't have been dreamed up. There's new platforms popping up every day. I mean, Clubhouse is growing right. exponentially, you right. know, Twitter, Facebook, you know, social media, all of these things. I think just having discussions and we can we can discuss things today with people we could not have have dreamed of in the past and just talking, just talking and, and bringing these things up. And, and I get motivated from conversations. I get hyper. Um, I get yes. excited when I, when I have conversations, <laughs> I'm like, let's go, let's go do something today. You know, I, I, now often I, I need to focus, uh, my energy, um, and I need to do better at that sometimes, but I think just having conversations and, and collaborating and working together and utilizing resources, we can, we can usher in an era of, a, of an understanding of finance and money and responsibility that has never been seen before. And I think that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that, you know, in my experience at UC Berkeley, my mind opened up because I was in class next to people whose parents started businesses, kids who went off to start um, a lot of startups that we know today. Right. And with that being said, what could that that small conversation probably led me to be an entrepreneur, to create um, to do things that I never imagined I can do. So I think that you have to give what you know. That's the first way that a person can pay it forward. Um, so if you know it, show it and <laughs> let somebody else grow it. <laughs> I just made that up, by the way. <laughs> I wouldn't have known. I would have thought that was in one of your books. So, <laughs> so, you know, I think this too, you've heard about imposter syndrome and stuff. And I, I, I go through this a lot. Yeah. Like, am I an expert? I don't, I, you know, sometimes I feel like I am, sometimes I'm not. You forget where you, you started. And I can remember being a teenager. Yeah. Um, I started investing when my grandmother passed away. She left all of her grandchildren a couple thousand dollars. And I mm -hmm. decided it'd be cool to invest it. I have no idea why, but I, that's what I decided to do. And so I went to my local Edward Jones branch and I bought uh, three different American funds. And oh, then, wow. then I realized quickly this isn't as fun as what I wanted to do. And I uh, stupidly went on to uh, trying to, to uh, YOLO it, uh, you know, yeah. so, but, but I learned so much and that made me realize there's something to this. I read every book I could get my hands on. I, I started paying attention uh, to the financial news. I was that weird kid who would go home and turn on CNBC when I got home from school. That's how, that's how weird I am. But, but I learned so much. Yeah. What was the first book that you read 
um, that kind of sparked your mind with the the right way, quote unquote, to invest? That's a great question. I don't know that it was the first one, but it's the first one I really remember reading. And it wasn't the easiest read, particularly at the age I was, but I read Benjamin Graham's The Intelligent Investor. That was my first book as well. Oh, it's so good. I, I probably should revisit it to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, that was that was my first book. And just the way that he made these rules or principles for investing, right? Um, macro and micro mm-hmm. really changed my life, right? And that was the moment that I knew that this was something that I wanted to do as a career. Yeah, me too. And I had I had a little bit longer of a um, journey than you did. I didn't get straight into the business after college. I was in the Air Force for, for four years after I graduated and went on to work actually in the bourbon industry for, for several years and then, nice. then got into the business. So it took me a little bit longer and I was a little hesitant because I loved it so much. I loved investing. I didn't know if I wanted to make it my job in fear mm-hmm. that I would resent it and, and not enjoy it anymore. But wow, I mean, I'm so glad I did because I think when I'm talking to people and to clients, they can sense my excitement. And, and, and I think that helps. Absolutely. I think that you have to have passion for what you're doing. Right. And when people see that passion in you, in the way that you look and the way that you talk about um, the thing that you're doing, sometimes it's just, it's just gravitational in which they have to join you on your journey, right. Onward to greatness. So um, I can tell, you know, by doing this podcast with you, that you're passionate about the work that you do. And I have no doubt that you'll be successful in growing and, and scaling your business. Well, I appreciate it. I've got a couple more questions uh, for you. I want to know what is wealth to Desarte? What does that mean to you? Um, you know, I ask myself this question all the time and I think it's evolving. I think wealth, one, is time affluence, the ability to control my time so that I can invest that time in the people, places, and things that I love the most. Um, that's number one. Uh, number two, I've I think that I've recently really, I, I might've always, always had it, but I've recently really leaned in to my heart for giving. I want to be able to give back, right? Invest in other entrepreneurs like myself that bootstrapped, um, invest in communities, right? That otherwise would have nobody investing in them, invest in kids and invest in my home country in Liberia, right? So those two things uh, make me feel wealthy, time affluence and the ability to give back. I think that's great. I think that's a great answer. The whole time aspect of it comes up over and over again. And I think there's a very good reason for that. I think we live in a world where we've created uh, ways to not have a lot of time. Um, yeah. And, and you know, that's not always a bad thing, but certainly if you don't have time to be with your family and your friends and do the things you enjoy, then then that's not so great. So I think that's a great answer. And And giving back it's something I need to do more of, um, something I, I realize I need to do more of. So maybe you'll uh, like that fire in me to, to do a little bit more. Hey, we could do it together, man. Absolutely. I, I'm totally game. So, well, I know you're a busy, busy man, Desarte. Any parting wisdom for anyone who's listening that you'd like to share? Um, it's a new year. We're in the year 2021. And for a lot of people, 2020 was hard or just extremely different than the years of the past, right? So I guess my parting wisdom is to this year, redefine yourself, set your mind on a definite goal and focus on that goal and watch how quickly the world stands aside to to let you pass. I think oftentimes, like you said, you got to focus, right? Focus that energy and that attention. If you can be intentional about something this year, 
I guarantee you by December 31st, 2021, you'll see uh, how much progress or how that thing has come to fruition. Um, thank you so much, James, for having me on the show. It's been fun. The bourbon is delicious. New Riff definitely speaks to uh, innovation, uh, speaks to you and I both being new advisors trying to do this old business in a brand new, fresh way. Um, and I hope we get to do it again. I got to ha- I got to get you on my podcast as well. Absolutely. I'd love to. I'm glad you like the bourbon. I'm sitting here. It's quality. It's that's what I yeah. that's the word that comes to mind when I when I drink it. It's it's not that it has any one exceptional thing about it, but just as a whole, it's just a really delicious bourbon. And um, I appreciate you coming on. I really um, I love what you're doing. It's like I said, it's had an impact on me and uh, I'm sure it will continue to do so. And look forward to chatting with you more in the future and, and coming on Young Money sometime and, and uh, talking some more. So I appreciate Absolutely. you, Desarte. Thanks, man. All right. Take care, man. Chatting with and collaborating with people like Desarte is exactly why I decided to do this podcast. His insights were fantastic. The bourbon was absolutely delicious and the conversation was fun. And there's a lot more where that came from. The lineup of guests we have is just phenomenal. And I really get excited just thinking about it. So press that subscribe button and make sure to reach out to me at james at vermillionprivatewealth.com if you have any feedback, topics we can cover, or suggestions. And until next time, take care. Cheers.